Good morning, everyone. I really wish you were here right now because it's so beautiful. Just looking out all of the windows at the snow falling, about a dozen windows all around. It's so gorgeous. But hope, hopefully you're enjoying the, the snow from your house or your apartment, just looking out the windows today. Um, so we're coming now in our series to Ephesians. We're, we're, we're getting close to ending. We're finally in chapter 6, uh, which is the final chapter in Ephesians. And we come now to a few verses in Paul's letter dealing with the relationship between parents and children. So this should be very relevant to the Wren community. These instructions might seem uh, disconnected from Paul's overall vision in Ephesians to move us into the fullness of God, but they are in fact essential. The church will never attain the deeper life in Christ unless her primary relationships are in order. The very last verse in the Old Testament describes the great fruit of God working powerfully in our midst. It says this, Malachi 4, 6, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now, I realize that some of you may not be married or may not have children or your parents may not be alive, but there's a truth here in these verses that can be applied to all relationships between older and younger. The Lord does not bless a church full of younger people who shut out the older as irrelevant and unnecessary. And likewise, the Lord does not bless a church full of older people who are not welcoming to the younger. There are many cultures around the world often the ones that have been in existence for a very long time, right, that have a strong uh, value of honoring those who are older. In America, I wouldn't say it's really our strong point. The elderly are often shut away in nursing homes and forgotten. Widows live alone and no one visits them. The stories and wisdom of the elderly are often not amplified. Young Americans consider them out of touch. But all this should not be so in the church. The Lord wants the culture of the church to be marked by a tender relationship between the older and the younger. Well, first in this uh, text here, we're going to consider the relationship of children to their parents. Uh, even amongst Christians, there can be uh, levity regarding youthful rebellion. Stories of disobedience are told in funny ways. It's easy even to glorify the ways that we may have undermined authority figures in our lives. We think it's cool, right? You know, when someone has a testimony of being saved out of rebellious living. I was a very rebellious young person, uh, mouthing off to teachers, vandalizing property, disobeying my parents, talking back to my parents, hating police, breaking laws. And really, I wish I could do my youth all over again. 
Sometimes Christians romanticize their youthful rebellion, and I know I have at times. But the fact is that my rebellion caused a lot of pain to a lot of people. I made life difficult for my school teachers. I drove my parents to tears, frustration, and grief at times. It's a miracle they didn't have a nervous breakdown, worrying about me and trying to tame my life. I really wish I could do it all over again. I know exactly the kind of child that I would want to be. Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Proverbs 17.25, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Well, Paul says in the text, children, obey your parents. Now, there may be extreme cases when a parent is telling a child to do something sinful, like steal from a store, which has been known to happen, right? Uh, Parents kind of using their kids um, to steal. Or uh, telling their kids to lie. I think in these rare cases, it would be right for a child not to obey a parent similar to maybe the peaceful civil disobedience of MLK. But in general, children should simply do what their parents tell them to do. Whether it's do your homework, make your bed, brush your teeth, don't lie, stay away from drugs and alcohol, drive safely, treat your girlfriend in a way that's honorable, put your napkin on your lap, tuck your shirt in, quiet down or any number of hundreds of other things that parents tell their children to do, children should just do it. Of course, this leads to the inevitable inevitable question that kids ask when they are told to do something. But why? Many parents give the popular default answer, because I said so. Paul says something that seems kind of similar in the text by saying, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It doesn't seem to give very much, right? It sounds like Paul is just saying to obey because it's the right thing to do. Don't ask questions. That wouldn't be wrong necessarily. But notice the phrase, in the Lord, that he adds. Paul's instructing children to obey mom and dad, not just outwardly and with an inward bad attitude, but to obey parents as an expression of their relationship with the Lord. In other words, if children know Christ, they will show it by their obedience to their parents. A child who claims to be a Christian but doesn't obey parents is not right with God yet. Next, Paul says, honor your father and mother. And by the way, I could go Each of these pieces could be a whole sermon in itself, but we're going to do four verses this morning. Next, Paul says, honor your father and mother. Honor always seems like a foreign concept to Americans. Uh, We tend to only honor those that we feel are worthy of honor, especially the younger generations who have been let down by authorities in their life, like, from parents, politicians, pastors, priests, the police. 
They feel totally justified in not honoring. They freely badmouth, demean, and ridicule people in authority. Many of our modern comedians, of course, especially those with a kind of political bent, use unfiltered, often mean-spirited language to tell the world how utterly stupid some particular authority figure may be. And while what they are saying may be true and funny and maybe even well-deserved, it's not the way Jesus has called us to be as followers of him. Scripture, in fact, calls Christians, I think it's in the book of 1 Peter, to honor everyone. Because everyone, no matter what their beliefs or behaviors, is made in the image of God. Everyone is worth being redeemed. So children should honor their parents regardless of what kind of parents they have. Because I can already hear the, the, the resistance. Well, you don't know my parents. You know, my parents aren't worthy of being honored or obeyed. You know, maybe the parent is an alcoholic or irresponsible or not reasonable or unloving or unfair or hypocritical or whatever. I mean, in some households, the, the children are actually more mature than the parents in some cases. That brings uh, some serious challenges. These things can drive children crazy. But the Lord has called children to simply honor. It doesn't mean the child blindly views the parent as wonderful. Not at all. But the honor because it's what the Lord calls them to do. Now Paul reminds children of why they should honor their parents. I'll read the text again. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. He's quoting directly from Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. It's a very broad promise, but consider the opposite. A child that does not honor his parents should expect that their life will not go well. They may even have their life cut short. Not that everyone who dies young dishonored their parents, of course, but I think it's a serious thing. Children's, children who dishonor their parents will find that trouble follows them. Relationships will be difficult. Uh, they don't have peace of mind often. They tend to have issues with authority figures in every area of their lives. I'll just read a couple Proverbs that kind of play this out. If, uh, this is Proverbs 20, 20, 20, verse 20. If one curses his father or mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. That's a, that's a strong warning. How about this one? Proverbs 30, 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. That's a good one, right? That should be like, I was thinking, you know how like Christians like to put little plaques around their house, little God bless, you know, as for us in our house, we will serve the Lord. This would be a great one, like right above the dinner table maybe, you know, as the families around the table. That's a strong warning. One more, Proverbs eleven twenty nine. 29. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. And there's many more. 
Now, I just want to give a, a sort of a pastoral word to kids. If there are any children or youth, I'm sure there are some who are listening to this message. Uh, parents, I'll give you 30 seconds to go drag your children out of bed and um, place them in front of the, the television screen so they can hear this. But I just want to say this, that the number one way for children to serve God is by obeying, honoring, and serving their parents. So I say this to children, don't be, don't be difficult. Uh, don't talk back to mom or dad. Make it a joy for them to parent you. Uh, don't do the absolute minimum that your parents want you to do. Go the extra mile. Don't make them nag you to do things. Don't make them even have to ask you a second time to do a thing that they asked you to do. And, and show some initiative. Have you heard teachers say that in school maybe? Show initiative. It means don't wait to be asked. Just, just see the need and just do it. In other words, when mom is working hard, cleaning, or maybe preparing the dinner, uh, ask her, hey, mom. Is there anything I can do to help? Or, or just jump in and start helping, you know, because some moms are so, so nice. They'll say, oh, no, honey, I can, I can do it. I can handle it. But just start helping. Be a helper. When your mom or dad tells you to do something that you don't want to do or don't think is a good idea, don't argue. God says in the word, do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's okay to tell them how you feel, but then let them know that you're going to do it because they want you to do it and because they're asking you to do it. And don't do things half-hearted. You know, when they tell you to do something like clean up your room or, you know, okay, you're going to do this task, clean up the kitchen or whatever it is. Uh, don't just do a half-hearted job. The Lord says this in Colossians. He says, whatever you do, work heartily at it as for the Lord and not for men. Be respectful to your parents. Don't ever make fun of your parents. That's not funny. I mean, I, I can think of some people that, that did that a lot when, when they were kids, and it was really not, it was really ugly. Um, don't ever make fun of your parents, whether in, to their face or even behind their backs. Uh, just don't do that. That's, that's kind of the opposite of honor. You don't have perfect parents. Uh, nobody does. But work hard at being thankful for the good aspects that they have, good qualities. A couple more things. Be a good listener. There's nothing more exhausting to parents than when they have to tell a child over and over and over again to do the same thing. Maybe some of you watched the Karate Kid, the newer one, where the kid just kept on leaving his, you know, he'd take his jacket off and throw it on the floor, and his mom had to just nag him, and, you know, she wanted to pull her hair out uh, because it was so frustrating. He just wouldn't hang his jacket up. Well, don't do that. It's easy to forget to do what you're asked to do because you don't think it's important. But if it's important to mom or dad, 
then just choose to make it important to you. Lastly, if your parents make mistakes, and they will, forgive them. They forgive you a lot of a lot of your imperfections, so forgive, forgive them. Don't join in with your peers who constantly whine like babies about the imperfections of their parents. Just don't have a part of that. That's ugly, and you aren't ugly. All right, so now let's turn our attention to fathers. It says in the text, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think the admonition could also apply to mothers, but Paul places this instruction upon the fathers since they're responsible to lead, as we talked about a few weeks ago. It is a known fact that, generally speaking, fathers can come down too hard on their children to the point of crushing their spirits. When a dad is too severe with a child and just giving him or her punishment that is not proportional to the crime, or it's just too harsh. It can cause the child to become, I think the NIV uses the word exasperated, which means to irritate the child intensely or infuriate them. Not that rebellion is ever justified for any child, but it is a fact that many children are pretty rebellious precisely because their parents are so overbearing and harsh toward them. It can cause a child to get angry and act out in rebellion. Again, it's not an excuse for rebellion. A child is still accountable, of course, for his own actions. But parental harshness can just push a child in the direction of rebellion. Fathers should be firm, gentle, and understanding. Strong, but tender. Then Paul says in the text, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does that mean? The idea of discipline has become a point of great confusion for parents, especially Christian parents. Uh, Some take the old school approach of spanking and punishing and even lashing children with a belt to sort of crush their rebellion. Other parents swing the other direction and rely only on reasoning with the child. They never spank and don't even have consequences for bad behavior. Some parents use strong, angry emotion to deal with their children. And others are like Caillou's dad. You know that cartoon that, you know, Caillou's dad had about as much emotion as uh, Mr. Spock in Star Trek. Uh, even though his kid was, you know, doing something terrible, he just never reacted. I couldn't relate to Caillou, so Caillou's dad, so I really didn't like that cartoon very much. <laughs> but parents are genuinely confused by, by this. Uh, those who believe in strong discipline believe that neglecting children, discipline to children will ruin them. Right? And they have scriptures to back that up. Those who do not believe in strong discipline, believe often that strong discipline will actually damage a child, which it could. Who is right? As with so many things in the Christian life, there's a middle place. It's it's kind of both. 
Discipline is important, but it absolutely must be done in great love and only as a last resort. It's a little like war. If a neighboring nation is doing something disruptive, we don't bomb them. Uh, we negotiate. We give incentives. We maybe take away privileges of trade or impose tariffs or whatever to evoke change. We try to work. The last resort would be to use any kind of physical force, or at least it should be. That's not really the way the world works, of course. We go to war way too quickly. Now, so we aren't taking our cues in entirely from society. Who, I mean, I grew okay, I'll share a little bit here. I mean, I grew up in the 70s, and everyone got spanked. Like, you know, we all, my friends, we, that was just a thing. You got spanked, you got whipped, you know, friends got the belt. Uh, even in school, okay, I went to a little religious school, and it was just, yeah, we got, we didn't get, well, did we get spanked? We got hit with uh, this little stick, the rod, you know. It was like a, a long pencil-like thing that was, it was pretty, I mean, it wasn't a chopstick. It was, this thing kind of hurt, you know, and usually you weren't looking at it when it was coming at you so because you were fooling around or goofing around, and all of a sudden you got this thing whew, right on your knuckles or something. Or I do remember they would just come and grab your, hair, because we had a lot of hair in the 70s, you know, just big, you know, uh, bowl cuts and stuff, and they would just grab your hair and then pull it and then go back and hit you in the head, in the forehead with their knuckle, and they'd kind of go back and forth like that, and you would just be completely disoriented and humiliated, of course, but it really kind of hurt, you know, it hurts to, to pull your hair, um, but this was normal. You know, this was like, yeah, you know, just went home and, how's your day, Scott? Oh, yeah, it was good. It's good. Yeah, we went, played football at recess. It was pretty cool. Like, you just, it was, this was normal. But these things have been challenged in recent years. Like, should children be physically disciplined like that? Is it a good thing? And again, of course, you know, sort of conservative Bible Christians are like, yeah, well, we got to take the Bible literally. I just don't know. It's kind of like with my message a few weeks ago about drinking wine. It's important if you're just going to start drinking wine that you do the research first and really listen to both sides and come to a thoughtful uh, conviction about it. And I would say the same with disciplining children physically. Well, I'll read a couple of scriptures so we don't get our cue too much from the culture. But this is where the confusion comes from, these verses. And I'm not going to read all of them, but there's a few more. I'll just read a handful of them. Proverbs 22:15: 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14, do not withhold discipline for, from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol or some interpretations say hell. And that's a strong one. The rod of, here's Proverbs 29, 15 to 17, the rod of reproof, rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. One more, Proverbs 13, 24, 
Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, these verses can be a little confusing, right? Like, what is the rod? I know when we first started parenting, we were taught very, very strongly because these were the, it was like the, the James Dobson and Focus on the Family era. We were taught very strongly that you should discipline your children, like you should spank them or whatever, and there was all kinds of instructions. You do it on the soft part of the bum, and like it was just, that was the thing that Christian parents did in the 90s. Maybe you didn't, I don't know, but you know, this was kind of, this was what the circles that we ran with, we were taught very strongly to do this. So we kind of did, did that at times, hopefully, you know, I mean, with Madeline, I think we spanked her like once, you know, Taylor, I don't know, thousands of stuff. No, not thousands, but <laughs> um, there, there was, she got a few spankings. <laughs> but, you know, like th- just reflecting on this uh, to this day, I'm not sure if I had kids, we don't plan on having more kids, but if we were to do it all over again, if we, if we would spank at all, I, I just don't know that these verses really are telling us that we should, fi- well, let's, let's take them, if we're going to take them literally, then let's do that, okay? So what is the rod? Well, the rod was what the shepherd used. He used a staff and he used a rod. The rod was a short little club. It was, think of a, a short, heavy club, actually. Um, and it, think of kind of a baseball bat. Well, are we saying that the Lord would want us to use a short, maybe a 21-inch baseball bat to discipline a two-year-old child or a seven-year-old, any child, a 16-year-old child. I just, I mean, you would break bones if you did that. I mean, I don't even know how you would do that in a soft way, like just tap the bum with it. And, and, and often it says that the rod should be applied to the back. Are we really, is that really what Scripture is telling us to do? I mean, Paul says in the New Testament that, I mean, think about this, that he was going, I forgot how he words it exactly, but that he was going to use the rod on the church. Well, he definitely did not mean literally that he was going to come with a shepherd's rod and just start going after people. You know, like maybe at the end of the sermon, if they weren't listening or didn't seem to be, that he would just go out and just start pummeling people with the rod. That just wasn't the case. In fact, there's nothing in the New Testament at all that even supports physical discipline of children. We just see that in the Old Testament. But I'm not even sure if it is really in the Old Testament because think about what David said in Psalm 23. Your rod and staff comfort me. How is that a comfort? How would the rod on the back of your bum be a comfort? Well, it kind of goes back to what did the shepherd use the rod for? He used it to count his sheep. He used it. Sheep go astray. Sheep just naturally, they're not too smart. They're very kind of frail animals and and, and sort of sensitive animals. And they they just kind of go their own way. And and, and they, they, they aren't like super smart. They aren't independent, that's for sure. 
they, they need, that's kind of the point of, I think, why the scriptures uh, select sheep to describe us, <laughs> you know, because we aren't independent. We are very dependent on the shepherd. And so the shepherd used the staff and used the rod to uh, kind of keep the, you know, kind of bop them and just kind of guide them and direct them because they would always go the wrong way. Also, the rod was used to ward off wolves or predators. It was used to protect the sheep. I mean, rarely, I mean, certainly shepherd, a good shepherd didn't just, you know, come into the, the flock and start like whacking the, the sheep over the head or in the back with, with the rod. That just wasn't what shepherds did. I mean, you might've heard of extreme situations where a particular sheep just kept on leading other sheep astray and, and, and the shepherd would kind of injure one of the sheep, that particular sheep that was causing so much trouble, maybe like break the leg or something like that. But you can't take that extreme example and say that parents should, I mean, certainly parents should not break the legs of their children with a rod. That's ridiculous. So I think, you know, it's, it's problematic to take these verses literally because if you're going to take them literally, then do it. Then take it totally literally. Don't turn it into, well, it means use your hand on the soft part of the buttock. Well, it doesn't say that. It says use a rod. So I, it, that's very dangerous when we just approach Scripture too literally. I think the rod in the way that Paul used it or the way that David was describing it in Psalm 23, it, it, it means it's, it's metaphorical to mean don't just let your children do what they want. You know, be strong. Guide them. They need guidance. They need strong guidance in discipline. Like, make sure that they are going the right way. If they start moving towards sin or drifting into a spirit of lying or become uh, bullies or whatever it may be, become slothful, like just get on it. You know, that, I think that's what Scripture is teaching us. Not to be passive. Well, you know, I don't want to say anything to them. You know, it's their life. They have to decide what they think is right and wrong. No, Scripture doesn't teach us that. We're to train our children and to guide them and discipline them very strongly as parents. And I think we can use our voices. There's so many ways that we can kind of move children in the right direction. Certainly by example would be the number one way. I think by prayers, by reasoning with them, by giving them consequences at times, by, I think, and I know this can be uh, debatable, but I think the tone of your voice, if you use it, very sparingly. I mean, you can ask my kids. I didn't really get angry and have fits of rage, but there were some times that I got really serious with the way I spoke to them because it, we were talking about maybe lying or the way that they were treating one another. So we can use tone in a controlled way, hopefully, to communicate that a certain direction is the wrong way to go. But I don't, in my opinion, think that we really even need to spank. Um, and all this really kind of comes back to the text in Ephesians 
that discipline should be strong, of course, but it should always be done in a way that the child knows that it's for their own good. They're not being provoked to anger or resentment. Uh, You know, discipline and consequences should never be dished out in a fit of rage. If we're feeling rage toward our children, we need to go for a walk. We need to just, I don't know, do something, get away. Just don't speak or do anything toward your children if you're feeling a rage or intense anger toward them. That's just not going to go well. And you can, you can really damage children, damage their spirits. I think in some ways words can be just as damaging as physical, um, you know, whacking them or whatever. I think words are just as powerful. So we got to be so careful in what we say to our children. We should always be controlled. We should always be in the spirit, right? What is the fruit of the spirit? Love, peace, joy. Uh, I don't even know. I should have them memorized, right? I'm the pastor, but there's nine of them. But the fruit of the spirit should always be present. The Holy Spirit should be present when we're disciplining when we're dealing with them, speaking with them. And if we were to spank, if you do have a conviction that spanking is right, okay, then I'm not going to argue with you, but make sure you administer a spank when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Just make sure you're doing it in that spirit of God's love. Well, all of this, of course... uh, related to Paul's other encouragement to the dads to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What, well, what does it mean when he says in instruction of the Lord? It doesn't mean just pushing children to do all kinds of things the Lord isn't really asking them to do, which Christian parents are known for. We're kind of famous for uh, adding 10 million other rules to the Bible to burden our uh, poor Christian uh, children. Uh, so we ought to be so careful that we're not adding to the Bible and not making it more difficult than it really is. Just teach them the word. Just teach them the Bible. Instruct them. Deuteronomy says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall, teach, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates or above the dinner table. (laughs) That's Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9. The Lord doesn't want parents to just let children decide what to believe is right and wrong. That's just not scriptural, okay? We're to train our children. As my mentor used to tell me, parenting is the ultimate discipleship. We teach mostly by example, of course, but we also teach children the will of God is revealed in Scripture um, by just constantly telling them about the stories of the Bible and teaching them uh, what's in the Bible. Just teach them the Word. They're not just going to figure it out. You can't just say, hey, the Bible's important. You should read it. Like, you, you got to actually just tell it to, like, talk to them about it. Give it sense. The Bible's hard to understand. Uh, parents don't teach children how to live. If, oh, here it is, yeah. If, if parents don't teach children how to live, 
than ungodly peers, peers, teachers, pop artists, voices on social media, professors, will in fact thoroughly indoctrinate them. So parents, teach your children the scriptures. Makes me think of Timothy in the Bible, who Paul described this way. From childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, or I think NIV says scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. And then my last little section here is just kind of from the heart, just, you know, our parenting. I should have Tiffany come up and, and talk. Tiff, you want to come up and share some things? Come on up. Yeah, come on. Everybody, who wants? They're all wanting you to come up. And, right. But uh, just from our own uh, experience, I can say this for sure, and I think all parents would agree that parenting isn't easy. I've never met a parent that just thought they did a perfect job parenting. In fact, pretty much you end every single day just feeling like you fell short. Uh, we raised two girls, as many of you know, Taylor and Madeline, who are now 23 and 21. And uh, we really messed them up. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Tay, Tay was very strong-willed uh, from maybe two to seven. But besides that, they were just really easy kids to parent. I feel like we sort of lucked out. Maybe that's all we could handle, you know, because God was like, I don't know if they're going to be good parents. Let's just give them easy, easy kids. But we try not to be too strict with them. We gave them a good amount of freedom um, to, like, for example, with music. We just didn't want to be those overburdening parents that are just like controlling every aspect of their life. So we just tried to teach them how to think Christianly uh, with the arts, especially both of them love the arts. So just with music choices and things like that, uh, just to think it through. Uh, we didn't force family devotions, but instead we led conversations about God. Uh, just kind of let conversations about God happen organically. We, we call them teachable moments. Uh, instead of just, you know, forcing, okay, everyone's reading the Bible at 6 a.m. in the morning, get be around the table, this is what we're doing, you know, and they all hate you for it. Like, we just said, let's, let's not do that. Let's just kind of go with the teachable moments. And it was kind of funny because they really learned, they're so smart, they really learned that it was a good idea to ask dad complicated theological questions as dad was tucking them in. And even though I knew what they were doing, I just fell into it every time. And, you know, 45 minutes later, an hour later, Tiffany would come up. What is going, what are you guys doing? They asked me this question. <laughs> I didn't mind. But we tried to foster an environment that made, made them feel loved. Uh, we also wanted them to feel like they could talk to us about anything. We definitely got angry at times because we were tired or frustrated. Um, and I regret those times, honestly. And I think, again, we all have, we've all made mistakes. Um, but we also got angry in good ways at times, like I was saying before, when they did certain things that we really wanted to get across to them, like lying is bad. Nobody will trust you if you lie. Uh, your relationships will not work 
if you lie. You know, I just we would come down, they would hear the wrath of dad. And they really didn't lie that I know of. A few times, and that was about it. We kind of, we were so strong about it that it, I think it kind of nipped it in the butt. Now, being in full-time ministry, as you know, can be consuming, but we really worked hard at being present for them, just with all their different interests and in music, concerts, and sports, and different things like that. Um, I wish we were more present. I think there were certain seasons that we got too busy in ministry, or I did at least, and I, you know, I regret those. I think you, you, you'll never regret putting your kids as a priority in your life. Uh, when they were in high school, we started really getting into cooking more and health food. And I really wish that we had done that earlier and had established better routines of eating together. Um, that kind of happened later in life. If we could do it all over again, I think we would do that. We read to the kids when they were little, but I honestly just wish that we read to them more. And we prayed with them when they were little, but honestly, I, I wish we, we did that more as well. Those are some of my regrets. But one thing I'm glad we did is always have them part of the church. They participated in activities in the church and in the neighborhoods around the city. It was a huge part of their childhood to serve the church and the city and to be around people of all different ethnicities. They also developed relationships with a lot of people um, in the church, so they kind of had a hundred moms and dads and siblings, and I think that was always really, really good for them. Uh, so there's so much more to share, but that's kind of my parenting journey. I'm sure if Tiff came up, she would have a different perspective completely, but it's not easy to do. But I think really... There's so much that could be said, and there's uh, whole books written, as you know, hundred thick books about parenting. I really just, what I'm trying to bring across today is just that you would know that love and tenderness should be at, at the foundation of the relationship between children and parents, parents and children. Um, let's, let's practice that well. Let's do everything that we do in great love and great wisdom. So let's, I want to pray right now for uh, the children and the parents. Lord, I pray first for the kids, the many kids of Renaissance Church, uh, sweet and wild and funny and just cute. Uh, Lord, some of them are just so precious and have such good hearts and just want to serve the Lord. I pray for them that uh, Lord, you would just give them a vision that, that even things that I'm saying wouldn't come across as just a duty, like you should obey your parents because uh, it's just, you should just do it. But Lord, I pray that you would put it in their hearts to understand that, wow, serving my parents is the same thing as serving the Lord. And I pray that they would understand that. I pray for parents and Lord, parenting can be frustrating and it's easy for parents to get overtired and just annoyed with their kids or agitated and get really angry at them at times. But Lord, I pray for the moms and dads in this community that you would give them love and give them uh, just great wisdom, give them the ability to be gentle and patient with their children, give them a vision for training their children up in the ways of the Lord. 
And Lord, forgive parents. I pray that um, parents and children would be able to forgive one another as well. And Lord, I pray for uh, those who are even listening to this message and feeling anger toward their parents who maybe uh, beat them or whipped them growing up. And Lord, I pray that we would just forgive that, that we would forgive our parents of that. And Lord, that we would just uh, be marked as a community by love and by grace and by mercy. And that people would look at our families, the way we run our families, even the way that the relationships are between the older and the younger in the church community. And they would see something different, something beautiful. It would be a display of a very different kind of spirit. You know, sometimes Christians are counterculture in a way that is, you know, it's kind of abrasive or unpopular, right? But I pray that we would be counterculture in beautiful ways as well. And that our honor and tenderness between the older and the younger in our community and in our families would be so different that it would be a witness to the culture around us. Lord, help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening.